My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hi, Sunrise Church. Happy Father's Day. Dads, you've got a great job to do, and I want to thank you for being faithful because it's not easy to be a dad in this day and age. Being a dad is difficult, and one of the key reasons is that being a man is difficult. You know, in just the past year alone, we have seen powerful men in powerful positions who have misused their roles and responsibilities, and they've done it to hurt and harm women. Men aren't looking too good these days, let me be honest. Each and every week, another story comes out about how a politician, a movie star, a TV star, an executive, or any other famous man has done terrible things, all in the search for pleasure and power. So it's not a stretch to say that today men are confused. We see evidence that confused men create major problems in life. All you have to do is look at the stats to see that most of the social problems in our culture, our American culture, rest at the feet of broken men. For some reason, as strong as we appear to be, we're a pretty fragile group. You know, men commit more crime and cause far more problems in our society than women. Most children with behavioral problems are not connected with their fathers. Statistically speaking, 90% of all the major crimes in the United States are caused by men. 100% of all the rapes are caused by men. 95% of all the burglaries are caused by men. 91% of all the offenses against families or children come from men. 94% of all drunken drivers are men. Friends, something is wrong with the vision of manhood in our world, and something's broken in what our culture says it means to be a man. Now, if you look even deeper into the stats, you discover that four out of 10 children born today are born to unwed mothers. That's almost half, my friends, that's tragic. And children without a healthy father figure in their lives, they will end up causing major damage to themselves and to their generation. Single mothers are much more likely to be poor than married couples. And the poverty rate for single mother families just in 2016 was 36%. That's nearly five times more the poverty rate for married couple families. Once largely limited to poor women and minorities, single motherhood is now becoming the new norm of poverty in America. Well, where are the good men? The world-famous anthropologist Margaret Mead made this observation as she spanned human history in different cultures and different societies, different times, and she said this, the central problem of every society is to define appropriate roles for its men. That, she said, is the central problem. That's it. Why do men need clear direction, appropriate roles? Well, again, it's because we're a pretty fragile group. And without clear direction, without clear understanding of who we are and what we're intended to do and to be, we will be confused men. And confused men will create major problems in society. I mean, just add to this, our own culture's confused idea of what it means to be a man. 
Just a few years ago, the New York Times put out an article entitled, What Does It Take to Be a Real Man? And it began with this question, are men confused about what it means to be a man? It went on to look at Michael Kimmel, a sociology professor, who stood in front of his classroom one day and asked this question, what does it mean to be a good man? Well, at first, his students in the classroom looked puzzled and they didn't have an answer. So Dr. Kimmel went on and explained. He said, okay, uh, let's say that it was said at your funeral, he was a good man. What does that mean to you? Well, slowly a hand went up and a male student in the front row said, caring. Then another young man said, putting others' needs before your needs. A third said, honesty. Now, those are all good traits. No one would deny it. So Dr. Kimmel listed each of those under the heading of a good man. And then he turned back to the group of students, and now he said, tell me what it means to be a real man. Well, this time, the students reacted much more quickly. The results were, take charge, be authoritative, said one of the sophomores. Take risks, said a sociology graduate student. One student said this, it means suppressing any kind of weakness or fear. One young man said this because of his own past. I think for me, being a real man means to talk like a man, to walk like a man, and most importantly, never cry. You could tell what kind of home he grew up in, right? Dr. Kimmel had been taking notes. Now he said, you're in the wheelhouse. He pointed to the good man list on the left side of the board and to the real man list he added to the right. And then he said to the class, look at the disparity, students. I think American men are confused about it, what it means to be a man. Now, I believe that the answers to both what a real man and a good man look like are contained in the Bible. Not only that, my friends, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I believe that where we have gone wrong as a society can actually be found in the pages of the Bible. When you open the pages of the scriptures, you see a biblical blueprint for manhood. Actually, it's better to state that you see two biblical blueprints for manhood, one that's flawed and one that's fixed, uh, one blueprint that is confused and the other that's complete, one that's ruined and one that is redeemed. And everything we're seeing today in our culture is found in the culture of the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, yeah, even 3,000 years ago, society was struggling to find a few good men. As I read through the Bible every year, every once in a while, I'm just struck by different passages. And I was struck by the opening words of Isaiah the prophet. He said this in the first few chapters. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah the mighty men and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the honorable men, the counselor and the expert artisan, and the skilled enchanter. And I will make mere lads their princes, and capricious children will rule over them. And the people will be oppressed, each one by another, and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder, and the inferior against the honorable. That's Isaiah 3, 1 to 5, the New American Standard. I mean, think of that. Because of the, their rejection of God, their rebellion against God, God turned to the nation and said, okay, well, when you've turned away from me, when you've chosen to ignore me, when you've pushed away my instruction, well, I'm going to take the real men away. The rest of Isaiah goes on to describe a culture without any good men leading. It's a culture of death and a culture of decay. It's a culture that looks a lot like America today. You know, we see in the Bible that when people turn away from God, the men of the culture become confused, then they become directionless, and then they become troubled. 
Now, as that happens in men's lives, then women and children suffer for the sins of the men of society. Now, men, I I want you to think about it this way. Uh, you, You might even want to get a pencil and write this one down or put this in your notes in your app. As men go, so goes the life of the culture. As men go, so goes the life of the culture. Think of it. The very first verses in Genesis tell us that men were created to be social and spiritual leaders, not oppressors, not abusers, but lovers and leaders. And unless good men step forward to become real men, our society will continue to suffer. Men, today, I want to paint this picture for you. You either walk in the footsteps of one of two biblical men, Adam or Jesus. Dutch theologian and biblical scholar Herman Ritterbos said this, Adam and Jesus stand against each other as the two great figures at the entrance of two worlds and two creations, the old and the new. And in their actions and fates lie the decisions for all who belong to them. Now, it'd be fair to say that each and every one of you men in this room shares the heritage of one or both of these men. Men, you're either walking in the footsteps of Adam or you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, that's a choice that we make. Now look at how the Apostle Paul writes about these two men in Romans 5, verses 12 to 19. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Romans 5, 12 to 19. Now, I understand this was a mouthful. That was a lot. So let me take just a moment to break it down simply for us today. Adam sinned and caused the whole world to fall into chaos. But Jesus came to offer new life for you and me. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. But through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness entered the world. To put it in terms of being a man, through one man, masculinity was lost. But through one other man, masculinity was found. Men, you're either living and walking in the footsteps of Adam or you're living and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. It's your choice. That's your direction. That's your destination. Look at how Paul goes on to say it from 1 Corinthians 15. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. 
Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 47. So theologically, the apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. That's a really good way to see it. Now, Paul's not saying Jesus is just another man uh, like Adam, but he's saying that Jesus is the complete man, the one who fixed what Adam broke. Jesus fulfilled the responsibilities that Adam failed to fulfill. Now, when you look into those words, you see two Adams, one which is earthly and the other which is heavenly. So we have two men. And my friends, you either walk in the footsteps of Adam or you walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You either mirror the first Adam or you mirror the second Adam, Jesus. We were all born through the first Adam, but we can all be born again through the second Adam because Jesus Christ offers a different kind of manhood, a manhood that is pure, a manhood that is honorable, a manhood that fixes all that the first man damaged. Well, let me share with you, uh, through the teaching of men's fraternity, four ways that the first Adam continues to live his way out in us, and then the second Adam, Jesus, how he offers a better way, a more authentic and noble manhood path. The first Adam showed up, and Adam embraced passivity. When you go back to Genesis 3, you see this picture. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and it looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now, there is something I had never seen before until I had gone through men's fraternity, and it's this question, where was Adam in all this? You know, I used to imagine the scene in Genesis where Eve was being by herself tempted, confronted by the temptation of Satan, while Adam was off somewhere completely out of sight. I don't know, maybe he was tending the garden or something. I don't know. Uh, but that's not how Genesis says it. That's not how the sin took place. My friends, men, Adam was right there. He was watching the whole event take place. And what did the man do while his wife was being deceived and seduced? Nothing. It was like he was passive. It was like he was paralyzed. Uh, several years ago, our family made a trip back to Florida to visit my wife's aunt, uncle, and cousins. And as we arrived in the Tampa area, uh, we let the kids out of the minivan, and, and we all began to head into the house. And as soon as our children had gone into the house, and uh, my wife and I were starting to go into the house, Randy, her cousin's husband, shouted to close the door quickly. And all we saw through the window was he grabbed a long-handed shovel and stabbed something into the ground. What did he hit? A black diamondback rattlesnake. It had slithered onto their property and was hiding in the grass. Now, as soon as Randy saw it, he sprang into action. He chopped off its head. My friends, that's what a man does when he sees a dangerous venomous snake near those he loves. But what did Adam do? Nothing. He froze in his passivity and Eve was deceived. And you see, here's the point. Rather than doing what true masculinity does, which is to do something, right? Adam was just standing there. Adam went flat. Adam went passive. Adam didn't do anything. My friends, that's the problem. It's what we see happening in homes all across America. 
Rather than men doing something, men are just standing there. Rather than being involved the way they should be with their children, but they're not doing anything. They may not be doing anything necessarily wrong. They're just standing there, right? It's a passivity that just sweeps over men in every generation. And it happens in the church. Yale sociologist Stephen Clark made this observation as he looked at humanity through time. He said this, For whatever reason, men have a natural tendency to avoid social responsibility. Now, one of the tragedies of walking in the footsteps of the first Adam is that uh, we as men have a natural tendency to wait in regards to significant social and spiritual activities. Now, for some strange reason, uh, we men can conquer at work, but we crumble at home. The first Adam fell into passivity and created this passive inaction that shows up in every man. But men, you don't have to be walking in Adam's footsteps because the second Adam, Jesus, he stepped into time into our world, and Jesus rejected passivity. In fact, you see more real manhood in the manger of Jesus Christ at Christmas than you do in Adam in the garden. All throughout his life, we see Jesus step forward into action. In the Gospels, we see that even as he approached his death on the cross, he did not go passive. He set his face resolutely to the cross, and he died for you and for me. He took action, and he humbled himself by becoming a servant to you and to me. Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave his life so that we could have life. Men, there's no greater active action that you could ever take than to step forward and serve others, to serve your wife, to serve your children, your girlfriend, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Don't just stand there. Do something. Jesus rejected passivity, and if you want to walk in his footsteps, you will take the steps of putting one foot forward and moving toward action. Now, here's an example in my life. Now, y'all know I'm a pastor, right? And so you'd think it would be natural, it'd be easy for me to lead this way at home. You'd think that, but it's not true. I still have the blood of the first Adam flowing through my veins. When my sons were very young, I had to come up with a plan to disciple them to Jesus. I had to figure this out. There was no class that I could take, very few resources I could find, but I knew it was up to me as the dad to lead. And so I just started something. I just started meeting with them. I started sharing my spiritual life with them. From that time, the time they were five years old onward, I started meeting with them. And every week we had this special time at Starbucks where I would get some tea, they'd get some hot chocolate. And every week I'd step forward and lead. I had to figure this out or, you know, I mean, or I was going to be the pastor who led well at the church, but poor at home. And I couldn't let that happen. So I rejected my natural instinct to step back into the shadows and let Mary Beth do it all. And I stepped forward. Now they're all adolescents and they're great young men. And I'm finding different ways to connect with them one-on-one each week to get to know them as young men. I've had to create opportunities to spend time with them so they see Jesus in me. Well, my friends, it'd be so much easier to just come home, turn on the television or check out the internet and zone out to mindless media and YouTube but I've chosen to invest my life and my time in my three sons. Men, do you have a family? How are you resisting passivity and leading your family? I know it's easy to lay this at the feet of your wife or your pastor or your youth pastor, or your children's Sunday school teacher, but God made you to be the main disciple maker of your children. So how are you doing? Real manhood is rejecting your natural passivity and saying, I'll do it. I'll step forward. I'll accept responsibility. I'll get help. I'll figure it out. And in giving my life for others and in watching that life spread into my wife, my children, my girlfriend, my my kids, my community, whatever, my church, into the world, I'm going to step forward as a real man who follows Jesus. 
It's choosing to step out of Adam's footprints and stepping into the footprints of Jesus, the second Adam. Now, secondly, we see this in Adam. Adam disregarded his responsibilities. Writer Roy Smith made this statement. The ability to accept responsibility is always the measure of a man. We see in the garden experience how Adam played the blame game and pushed away his responsibilities. And his lack of responsibilities ultimately became somebody else's responsibilities. At that moment, it says, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, and here it is. It was the woman you gave me. The woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Genesis 3, 7 to 12. I love it. At that critical moment when he could have come clean, could have stepped forward, could have admitted his sin. Adam blamed the woman Eve and he blamed God. Isn't that the natural thing to do, men? I mean, every man we've seen this past year that has been exposed as a fraud or as abuser or violent, they walked in the footsteps of the first Adam and they blamed others or they denied their actions or they just ran into the shadows. But my friends, Jesus, the second Adam, Jesus accepted responsibility. The most beautiful pictures of this are all throughout the ministry of Jesus when he tirelessly healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He ministered to the least, the last, and the lost. Finally, when the time came for him to die for our sins, he said to the Father in that garden, not my will, but thy will be done. That, my friends, is what a real man says when he's confronted with a hard work to do or a hard responsibility to own up to. For Jesus, this decision took him to his death, a death for you and for me on the cross. Men, a real man accepts the responsibility to obey the will that is greater than himself with a higher calling than his own desires. Husbands or boyfriends, which are husbands in training, right, ladies? <laughs> husbands, we're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus was willing to die to self, literally, so that we could live. Men, at the core of the true masculine life is a man who understands that there is a will higher than his own will. A real man wants to know what that will is so that he can fit his life into it. That man also knows there's a work for him to do. There's a purpose for him on this planet. And so he aggressively seeks that work for himself. It's not just his job, it's his calling, it's his adventure, it's his lifestyle. Then when God brings a woman into his life, or for some of you guys, it might be just a girlfriend right now, he understands his role and his responsibility to love like Jesus loved to the point of death. A few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast that uh, told the incredible true story of a renegade World War II pilot who helped win the war in the Pacific Theater. This renegade crew took an old dilapidated B-17 bomber and they fixed it up for themselves so they could take on the war all the way to Japan from Australia. It all led up to this climactic dogfight, the longest in U.S. aviation history, that helped turn the tide of the war in the Pacific. It was an amazing story about friendship and leadership and the gritty boldness that was incredibly moving. I was driving as I was listening to the entire thing. By the end of the, you know, the, the only half the crew had made it home alive, and I was in tears thinking about the honor and sacrifice of these brave young men. I was moved. 
See, built inside of each man is an acknowledgement of honor and valor, but that only shows up when we accept our responsibility and move ahead no matter the cost. This is what gives a real man his life's meaning and a sense of satisfaction, especially, especially when it's hard to do. Like President Kennedy said so many years ago, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And you know what? We choose to be the second Adam, Jesus, walk in his steps, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. My friends, now this is important. Ultimately, this has to be a spiritual decision. The only way to truly walk in the footsteps of Jesus is when you come to a moment when you're spiritually transformed in your heart, your soul, your mind. By Jesus Christ himself, the only way to have the strength to walk in Jesus' steps is to have his spirit inside of you, leading you and guiding you along the journey. Now, time has gone away, but let me share quickly with you the last two differences between the first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus. The third one is this. The first Adam abandoned his leadership. In the garden, he stood by and watched the tempter deceive his wife and destroy their future. Adam stepped back when he should have stepped forward. And that's a natural tendency for all of us men today. Men, we were created to lead, but it takes courage to step forward and to do so. In contrast to this, Jesus led courageously. Jesus stepped forward. Jesus led where Adam did not lead. You see this all through the life and death of Jesus. He had a direction his entire life. He called men to follow him on this great mission and he eventually launched these men into the mission that would change the world. We're here 2,000 years later because of Jesus' mission. Not only did he lead with courage, but he loved with courage. He willingly laid down his life for his disciples. Jesus provided direction, protection, and life to his disciples. And we are called to do the same in our marriages, our families, our churches, and into our communities. We're called to lead through love and sacrifice through service because that's what Jesus did. Ralph Waldo Emerson made this amazing statement. Nothing can bring a man peace but the triumph of principles. And I want you to know that nothing can bring a man the deepest satisfactions of his life more than the triumph of truth working its way into your life. Men, we can't live for the moment. We have to live for the health of the future, for our marriages, our purity, our children, our businesses, our church. Just because it tastes good for the moment doesn't mean it's good for you. Don't let the candy of the world tempt you into failure. The first Adam abandoned his post of leadership, but the second Adam, Jesus, he chose to lead courageously. And four, finally, Adam lived for the moment. Adam wanted what he did not have, and it cost him dearly to pursue it. Adam took a hold of that fruit and took a bite, and in doing so, he chose the temporal over the eternal. He sought what would satisfy him in just the instant, but what ended up really losing the greater investment of eternity. Somehow Adam thought that he was wiser than God and that God was actually holding the best back from him. We, we believe that lie a lot. The first Adam was not satisfied with the life God had promised him, and so he reached out for the forbidden fruit. And you and I, we all know this one decision caused death and decay and destruction. Men, we walk in the steps of the first Adam. And when we do so, and when we live for the moment, we do the very same thing. Now, it's not going to be as significant necessarily as Adam's decision, but it will have significant consequences in our life, in our family's life, in our church's life, our business life. But what about Jesus? What did he do? Well, Jesus invested for eternity. And that has given you and me the chance to live eternally. We see this best in Hebrews 12. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Now, look at that verse for just a minute, that passage. How did Jesus endure the cross? How did Jesus despise the shame of the death on the cross? How did Jesus make it through one of the most difficult things any man could ever enter into, right? How could he do this? Well, it tells us in that verse, because in the midst of that agony and that seeming defeat, Jesus expected a greater reward. Did you see the phrase? Because of the joy awaiting him. That joy that was not right in front, but coming soon. He looked through the difficulty of the moment and looked to the other side. That's how we keep going on, my friends. That's how he did it. He kept his eyes on what was eternal and invested his time and energy there. And it wasn't just Jesus who did this. Look at Hebrews 11, and you'll see a whole chapter devoted to men and women who looked beyond this temporal life and saw something greater waiting for them. They lived for eternity and kept their focus on the world that was to come. You know, think about this. As grand, you know, as life was in that world, he didn't give in to the seduction. He wasn't like Adam, who gave in at the garden in that moment and chose to go his own way. You know, men, you've got to expect a greater reward, and you've got to choose to invest in eternity. There'll be moments when your marriage gets difficult, absolutely, or your parenting becomes frustrating, no question, or keeping your integrity in the workplace seems impossible, absolutely, right? But we don't give up and give in to the natural tendency inside you and me to go for what's temporary, because there is a greater reward coming. Now, I, I'm not naive, and I, and I know that right now some of you are standing in the rubble of the poor decisions you've made. Maybe you've walked too long in the footsteps of Adam, and you've been passive in your marriage and your family. Maybe you've uh, shirked your responsibilities for the pleasures of today. Maybe there was no one in your life to show you how to lead with courage or invest in what's eternal. Trust me, I understand that. I'm a pastor, but I grew up in this house. I know that there is help available. There is hope for your future right here at Sunrise Church. You just have to make the decision to step out of the shadows and walk into the light. You have to admit your defeat and call out for help. Most of all, you don't play the victim and you don't blame others. Make the decision to change. You can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. My life and so many lives of men around Sunrise are an example of that. Now, let me end with this interview from one of my dear friends. So I'd like to introduce to you Dan Reese. Dan has been coming to Sunrise with his family about how long? About eight years now. Eight years. Mm -hmm. And you have a story of your own growth of what it means to be a man. You want to tell us about that? Right. Well, I've been, uh, I've been involved in men's fraternity for uh, maybe the last four or five years, more, more, more involved in just the last year. Um, leading a couple of groups of men, and it's been, it's been great. Um, I, I think it has been an eye opener because it, it's really kind of shown a light on where, where some some blind spots were for me as a man, and and how 
Um, I was trying to do things, you know, trying to control things, trying to um, really live in isolation and, and things weren't really going the way, um, you know, they should have been going and, and a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of mistakes on all kinds of levels and it comes down to just, you know, me trying to live in isolation away from God and other men. Yeah, but you, your pastor's son. Yeah. So you grew up in church. Yeah. I mean, if anybody would have got it, right. you would have got it. So right. kind of back up a little bit. What were some of the gaps for you of what it meant to be a man? Right. Well, I grew up, I lost my father when I was um, very young. I was in, I was in um, uh, 10th grade when my father passed away and my parents had been separated for a couple of years. So I hadn't seen him in a while when he passed away. And um, so, but I was raised and steeped in the church and, um, you know, one of those churches with the robes and everything, right? It's a high church. And um, so I understood the formality of, of religion. I understood, um, you know, I had been uh, pretty familiar with, uh, sat through a lot of Sunday sermons and Wednesday uh, church services and all that. So I had a real understanding of, of the Bible from a, from a book perspective. But for decades, literally decades, I did not have a, a real understanding of what a relationship with, with Jesus looked like. And it took me really um, to, uh, to 2007 when I left a company and a very successful job to go out on my own and start a business with a, with a non-Christian guy. Um, at the time, my, again, my, my, my faith was very superficial. And um, that started that in 2008, which was an absolute disaster. The economy fell out, and here I was as a small business owner with everything I had involved in this in this company with a business partner, which I found out later had less ethics than I than I realized in, initially, and uh, I mean, really was facing then unemployment because the company um, dissolved, and now my business partner was coming after me financially for, and um, uh, I went I went 18 months without a job and uh, had to come to a point, I was read uh, um, A.W. Tozer's book, uh, The Pursuit of God, and uh, that just affected me um, dramatically. I ended up on my knees and saying, you know, God, if, if you're real, I want a real relationship. I don't want a, I don't want a relationship that is just, you know, um, some kind of theory. I want there to be reality to it, and that's when, that's when uh, things change for me. All right, and you got plugged into men's fraternity. I did about that same time. I, so we came to Sunrise about that same time, a year or two later after the company dissolved, and um, yeah, I, I started uh, met Jack Carmichael. He started mentoring me, um, and he's been mentoring me ever since. It's one of the things with men's fraternity where you know you really need to surround yourself with a group of men that can hold you accountable and support you. And so Jack, um, among and there's a couple other men. I've been blessed to have multiple uh, mentors and. And uh, so they kind of started me off on a path of, of uh, spiritual discovery and then found Bill Brooks in uh, Men's Fraternity. And uh, that went through that year and a half series. And that was, that was fantastic. It was awesome. What's one thing that really grabbed you in the series of Men's Fraternity, something that um, was a major step of growth for you? 
Um, probably, there's probably two. Um, I would say the first is, uh, is not living a life of isolation um, from God. I mean, we, I think men t- typically, we have this kind of rugged individualism, right, in the United States, right? We all want to be little John Waynes and, and live a life where we, we call all the shots and we make all the decisions and we're, we're self-sufficient and we don't have to rely on anybody. And so the first thing is that whole die to self. You know, you've got to, you know, that, that plan, that game plan is not going to work. It looks great in the movies, but it doesn't work in real life. In real life, you, you can't be out there on your own making the decisions you need. We need God. We need Jesus in our lives to be able to, to you know, pour out to and, and, and help us and lead us and guide us. Because a life of, of solitude away from God is, does not work. Or just other people, as or well. other I mean, people, and that yeah, good men in our lives. That's right. So the that's the second. It would be other men. So you know, you have to have that accountability. You have to have that guy next to you, like a Jack or my men that I meet with uh, weekly now, to to hold me accountable and to ask hard questions. And and you know, they know the areas that I'm weak in and I struggle. And and I know, I know the areas, and we pray, and it's uh, it's encouraging. I mean, I leave those meetings with other men um, energized. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that men's fraternity addresses well, I think, is the reality that we all have wounds. And men's wounds are pretty deep, uh, but we have that rugged masculinity, individualism that we choose to deny that there's a wound, and they leave deep scars. Uh, What is a wound that you've been able to walk through and find healing because of the teaching? <laughs> I really didn't want to talk about this because this isn't, you know, the wound stuff isn't really stuff that men typically want to talk about. Um, but, you know, my, my wound is, is becoming more and more common with men in the United States since the father wound. Um, my, my father died very young. Um, and before that, he was a very standoffish um, dad. We did not have a lot of one on one time. He was really married to the church. And um, so, it took me a long time to even come to the recognition that I even had a father wound. Um, and it was my wife and, <laughs> uh, you know, she was right. She was like, you've got some issues there with your dad that you have to work out. And I, I was like, no, I, I don't. But it was, it was um, actually the spirit one day riding, driving in the car and, and God spoke to me and said, yeah, you've, you've, got, you've got some problems there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve those. Mm. And um, that's when I met Jack and, and essentially ended up with two dad figures in my life that was, that was profoundly impacted me. It's great to see when uh, God allows those windows of opportunity, steps of growth in other guys' lives. Uh, maybe there's somebody that's not plugged into men's fraternity yet. I know we've been doing it for so many years right. here. But what would you say to one of those lone wolf guys, uh, one of those guys that's maybe hard on the outside, that Americanized man's man, but really is deeply lonely inside? It may not even understand the first step. What would you encourage them towards? Well, it's it's first you have to recognize that there's a problem. I mean, that's that's a lie. Um, it's that whole rugged individualism stuff. It, again, it's fun for the movies, but in the reality of it, is it doesn't work. Um, you are uh, one of the things they say in men's fraternity about about that that lone wolf is it starts with discouragement and then it goes steps. The next step then is is depression, and the final um, step is danger, meaning that we make dangerous decisions. 
Um, and, and if you want to avoid that, and, pro and I promise you that's going to happen um, on some scale, you're going you're gonna to get discouraged, get depressed, and then you know, make bad decisions. And you, you need to plug into other, other men. You have to have a support group. And not just the guys that sit around talking about sports. I mean, we all do that. I mean, I, I love to get together and watch the game or go down to Autzen or what have you. But um, you have to have a real um, real genuine relationships in your life with other men with, without that you're um, yeah you're you're destined for some real serious serious challenges would you do us a favor uh, to close uh, this but our sermon out would you pray for the men uh, that are watching uh, those that are here at sunrise or online that they would take that first step that God would bring them into an encounter with someone who really knows what it means to be an authentic man. And maybe even through men's fraternity, they get plugged in as the year rolls around. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, Father God, uh, we, uh, we need you. We recognize that we need you and we need each other. It's by design. Um, you're a God that has designed us for relationships, relationships with you and relationships with others. And so our ask is that uh, you surround us with people that can encourage us and help us grow and, um, and lead us along um, a path, path of righteousness in, in trying to um, discover where our weaknesses and blind spots are. Um, that's, a, that's a life of fulfillment, Father God, and that's what we want. We want a, uh, a life where um, success is, is gauged by um, being, bringing glory to you, not glory to ourselves. And so, Father God, our, our ask is that every man in, at Sunrise Church um, plugs in and, uh, and finds a support group of other men that can hold him accountable, encourage him, and, and help him on his journey towards uh, understanding you and serving you in a, in, a, in a greater way. And I ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.